I invite you to take your copy of Scripture this morning and turn to John chapter 15. John 15, and in a moment here I'll read verses 1 to 17 for us. Um, but we're going to be, uh, as you're turning there, just to let you know, we're going to be uh, beginning a new series this morning. So over uh, the next three to four weeks, we'll be looking at John chapter 15. And this morning we'll look at verses 1 through 6, and then um, we'll be looking at the rest of the passage in the coming weeks. So John chapter 15, if you'll turn there, if you don't have your Bible this morning, I encourage you to look for one of the Bibles underneath the chair in front of you, and you should find a copy of Scripture there. And if you're using that Bible, you'll find our passage on page 901, 901, and you can follow along in that Bible. All right, John chapter 15, I'll begin reading for us in verse 1. This is Jesus speaking, and he says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch of mine that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is the commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, okay? God, we thank you for these words spoken by Jesus that are so life-giving. And Father, we pray that as we turn to your word now in these moments, that um, these life-giving words would not fall on dead hearts. But Lord, we pray that we would have ears to hear and eyes to see and our hearts would be open so that this seed would fall into our hearts and find fertile soil and it would blossom and grow and we would experience the life that is here in Jesus' words. So, Father, do that work, we pray, by your Spirit. And it's through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Well, in our passage this morning, Jesus shares with us the path to a fruitful life, a life that is good, for others, that benefits others, a life that brings glory to God. We could say it this way, it's a life that is full of meaning. 
It's full of purpose. It's full of eternal significance. Now, this is the type of life that Jesus is calling us to in John chapter 15. It's, it's a life that is life-giving not only to us, but to others with whom we come in contact. And so, given the fact that this, this is what Jesus is talking about in John chapter 15, I, I should begin by asking you the question, do you want a life like that? If you don't, you probably won't be interested in what Jesus says here in John 15. If you do, this is the key to a life of meaning, a life of purpose, a life of eternal significance that is beautiful and brings glory to God. We learn from the Apostle Paul that the life that Jesus is describing here is a life that's marked by the fruits of the Spirit. So Jesus talks here about bearing fruit, Right? And then Paul picks up on this theme in Galatians chapter 5 when he talks about the fruits of the Spirit, which are love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. So this is something of what we're talking about when, when, when Jesus speaks of the, a, a life of fruitfulness. It's a life that bears these types of qualities, these types of characteristics. Now, this is not a life that's natural to us. And so we, we have to ask the question, how can we attain such a life? We, we, could, we could approach it this way. How does a selfish person become selfless? How does a fearful person become courageous? How does a person that is controlled by their passions become self-controlled and faithful? How does an angry person become patient and gentle? This is what we're going to be considering over the next several weeks as we look at Jesus' teaching from John chapter 15. Now, as we do so, I want us to consider this morning we're going to look at verses 1 through 6. And as we look at verses 1 through 6, I want us to consider three points from our passage. The vine, the vine dresser, and a fruitful life in the vine. Okay, so those are our three points this morning. The vine, the vine dresser, and a fruitful life in the vine. Look there, first of all, the first point is the vine. And really, it's just the first statement here made by Jesus. Very short, it's only a few words here. But it's so critical to understanding the rest of the passage. Jesus says there in John 15, verse 1, I am the true vine. Now, one of the things is Jesus, this is where Jesus starts. When he, when he starts talking about a life of fruitfulness, when he starts talking about a life of meaning, when he starts talking about a life that's beautiful, that brings glory to God, Jesus starts here. I am the true vine. You know, when many people, one of the reasons why we need to make this point is because many people, when they start thinking about what it would look like to live a fruitful life, what it would look like to live a meaningful life, they begin with themselves, Right? Begin by asking questions like, who am I? What are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? What obstacles are going to keep me from fulfilling my full potential? And those are all good questions to ask. I wouldn't, I wouldn't discourage you from asking those questions. But it is worth noting that that's not where Jesus begins. As Jesus is thinking about what would it look like for you to have a beautiful, meaningful, significant life that ripples through eternity, Jesus begins with himself. He doesn't encourage us to think primarily, first of all, about who we are, but about who he is. 
Jesus begins by saying, I am the true vine. Now, there's a lot in that statement. In uh, John's gospel, actually, this is one of the seven I am statements in John's gospel. So in John's gospel, Jesus makes seven I am statements. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way and the truth and the life. And here in John chapter 15, verse 1, we have the seventh of the I am statements. Jesus says, I am the true vine. Each one of these statements, Jesus is using an analogy or some imagery to point to a truth or truths that are uh, related to himself. And so in order to get a better understanding of this I am statement, I am the true vine, it's important for us to understand that it is deeply couched in the Old Testament scriptures. In fact, when Jesus makes this statement, he is borrowing from an analogy that we find in the Old Testament scriptures. In the Old Testament, we see this repeatedly, that a vine or a vineyard is consistently used as a symbol to represent Israel to represent the people of God. We see that Isaiah uses this imagery, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Hosea, all of these are prophets in the Old Testament that use this symbol, this imagery to represent Israel. We see this also in the Psalms. And so the idea here is that Israel was to be a beautiful, fruitful, life-giving vine who was a blessing to others and brought glory to God. But it's... Worth noting that whenever this symbol is used, whenever this imagery is used in the Old Testament to refer to Israel, that the emphasis is always on the fact that Israel failed to be all that God had called them to be. That Israel failed to produce the fruit that God had intended her to produce. That Israel failed to be a blessing to others as God had desired her to be. That Israel failed to bring glory to God as He had called them to do. So one example, and there's many we could read, but one example is from Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1-5. through 5. Isaiah the prophet writes, Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it out of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. And he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? So this is just one example of many examples we find in the Old Testament of this theme that Israel is is likened unto a vine, a vineyard of God. She's to produce this fruit that blesses others and brings glory to God, but she repeatedly fails and falls under the judgment of God. Now before we are too hard on Old Testament Israel... We need to remember that Israel's failure here that is recorded in the Old Testament Scriptures is simply representative of humanity's failure as a whole. Of each one of us, right? Of our own failure to fulfill the purpose of God in our lives, the purpose for which God has created us to live lives that are full of love and joy and life and beauty and forgiveness and mercy and peace and justice and righteousness. 
And it's with this backdrop, the, the failure of Israel to produce a life like that, and the failure of all humanity to produce a life like that, that Jesus comes on the scene and he says, I am the true vine. In other words, I'm the true Israel. I'm the true people of God. I have come to do what Israel and what you could never do, to produce a life that is completely a blessing to others and brings glory to God. And my friends, this is good news. This, this is really good news, especially as we continue to work through the passage and we will see that the reason why this is good news is because Jesus didn't come to live a life like this so that he could crush us. So you could say, look at the life I lived. Why didn't you live a life like that? But Jesus came to live a life like that, to live this life-producing, uh, fruit-producing life so that we might experience life in him. Jesus starts with himself in John chapter 15 because he is the source. He is the key to life that is lived to the glory of God. Now, if you're here this morning and, and, and you're not a Christian, if, if you're not sure what you think about the person of Jesus, you're not sure if you're a follower of Jesus, it's, it's important for us as we thought, begins this series just to point out that the, the teaching that Jesus is going to provide us with here in John chapter 15 is not, it's not just kind of generically applicable to all people, okay? In the sense that it's not just something that, you know, you can pick a few principles here and there and then plug them into your life and they're going to work. Jesus is, is making the point here is he is the true vine and he's the source, he's the key to a life like this that if you, if you are going to experience a life like this, you've got to be in the vine. You've got to be in Christ. It doesn't work any other way. And so are you in Christ? Are you in the vine? Are you vitally connected, personally connected to him? If not, you can be. Through faith. And that faith can be expressed even very simply in a prayer to God. You can simply pray, Lord, I confess that I have not sought to live the fruitful life that I ought to, and I realize that I can't live a fruitful life apart from you. I confess my sins. I trust that Jesus died and paid the penalty for my rebellion. Forgive me and receive me. And He will. You will find yourself in Christ, in the vine. And life will flow. So this is, first of all, the first point we see in our text is the vine. Secondly, as we consider this fruitful life, we see that Jesus speaks of the vine dresser. Look there, this is found in verses 1 through 3. Jesus says, I am the true vine and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch of mine that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. So in discussing this fruitful life, Jesus begins by focusing on himself. He is the true vine. And then he moves from there to focusing on the work of God the Father. And we see here in our passage that the work of God the Father, the work of the vine dresser, is twofold. He's engaged in two tasks. 
You see him there in the text. He removes or takes away the unfruitful branch. And that's the first. And then secondly, he prunes the branch that is bearing fruit. So he removes the branches that are not bearing fruit, and he prunes the branches that are bearing fruit. Now let's look at each one of these. What does it mean, first of all, that God the Father takes away every branch that does not bear fruit? Now I believe, and I want to show you this, but I believe from the context what Jesus is speaking of here is final and ultimate judgment. Jesus is speaking of the reality of when, when all men and women will eventually come before God and either be received into everlasting life and joy or will be eternally condemned. Now, the reason why I say that is because I believe when, when, when it says that the Father removes the branches that do not bear fruit, I believe the context demands us to, to, to accept that Jesus is speaking of eternal judgment here. If you go down to verse 6, you see it there. Jesus says, elaborating on this idea, If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. So here's this imagery. It's thrown away. It's tossed out. And then placed into the fire and burned. And we know that fire is oftentimes a symbol of eternal judgment in the Bible. So if that's true, if Jesus, if the work of the, of the vine dresser, of God the Father, is to take away those branches that do not bear fruit, meaning that they go into everlasting judgment, then that might lead some of us to ask the question, is Jesus teaching here that one can be in the vine and then cut off, and is he teaching that in such a way that that means we could, if we are a Christian, lose our salvation? Or I could say it this way. Is Jesus teaching that one can be in Christ, that one can be a Christian, then not bear fruit, and as a result of not bearing fruit, be rejected by God and eternally judged? And I would say, no, I do not believe that's what Jesus is teaching here. Actually, John's gospel contains some of the strongest statements of assurance of God's unchanging love and commitment to his children and the entire Bible. I'll just give you a couple. So in John chapter 6, verse 37, Jesus says, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. Or Jesus says in John chapter 10, verses 27 and 28, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. So this is clear teaching from Jesus regarding the eternal security of those who are truly in Christ. And so given that, we need to be careful as we think about this analogy of Jesus and the vine and the vine dresser. We need to be careful not to push the analogy too far. Every analogy, if you push it too far, it begins to break down, right? I believe, given these Given this, I believe that Jesus' point here as he speaks about the vine dresser removing those who do not bear fruit, I believe Jesus' point here is that there are some who will appear to be in the vine, but by their fruitlessness, they will prove that they have never been in Christ. Now, there's support for this, I believe, as well in the passage. So look down in verse 8 and we see this. Jesus says, by this my Father is glorified, 
that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So you see there from verse 8 that the proof that one is truly a disciple of Jesus is that they bear fruit, right? By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So bearing fruit is proof that you are a disciple. And conversely, to not bear fruit is proof that you are not truly a disciple. And so when the vine dresser is removing branches, it's not that he's removing true disciples, he's removing true Christians, but rather he's removing those who for a time seem to be Christians, seem to be connected to the vine, but by their persistent fruitlessness proved that they were never in the vine, that they were never Christians. There's a perfect illustration of this actually in John's Gospel, and it's the example of Judas. You think about the twelve disciples and Judas being with the twelve and with Jesus. And for, um, in regards to the appearance of things, is, is looking at, at Judas as he's with Christ and as he's with the disciples, it seems, it seems that he is in the vine. He's even among the branches, right? If we think about the disciples as the other branches, he's, he's in the community of faith. And yet in time... His fruitlessness revealed that he was never truly in the vine. He was never truly a disciple. I know we're just coming out of the Christmas season, and I can imagine that many of you uh, purchased a live Christmas tree. And uh, if you did, then uh, you, know, you, you cut it down, and you, you take it to your house, you put it in your house, and um, as you have the tree there, you, you decorate it, right? You put ornaments on it, and you put bows on it, and maybe you put a star on the top, and it's beautiful, right? People come in, it looks beautiful, it's green, it's lush, it seems to be full of life. Now, I, don't, I don't mean to be a Scrooge here, but it's all a facade, right? It's been cut from the vine, Right? At at that point, it has all the appearances of an attractive, life-producing tree. But it's not connected to the vine. And so eventually, the needles will start falling off, the branches will start to sag, and it will die. Jesus is warning us here that some people say, I believe in God. Some people may even say, I believe in Jesus, or I try to be a good person. And perhaps for a time, it seems that there's life, that there's fruit. But in time, it becomes apparent that they are not connected to the vine. And I would just ask you, are you in Christ? Are you connected to the vine? Don't fool yourself. You know, don't, don't. Some may say, well, you know, years ago I was baptized or, or I became a member of some church or I try to be a good person. That's not what I'm asking you. I'm asking you, are you connected to Christ? Has Christ changed you? And is he changing you? Those who are in Christ bear fruit. Those who don't are removed. Now, if you're concerned this morning that maybe you're not in the vine, you're not in Christ, let let me just give this one other word of counsel. The, The proper response, if you are concerned that maybe you are not in Christ, 
Maybe you're not in the vine. The proper response is not to say, you're, you're examining your life, you're looking at your life, you're like, you know, it, th- there's no real evidence here that I've ever been changed by Christ. There's no real change taking place in my life. And I wonder if I'm in Christ. The, the proper response is not then to say, man, I better get busy bearing some fruit. Right? We might be tempted to think that's the proper response. Well, well, I better busy myself with producing fruit. That misses the point. The proper response is to say, I better get myself in Christ. Right? I got to get myself in Christ. I got to get myself in the vine. By faith, I need to trust in Christ and give myself to Christ and yield to Christ. And then you will produce fruit. And the fruit will come. The second work of the Father, the first is to remove those branches that don't bear fruit. The second work of the Father is to prune those that do bear fruit. Now, as you look at those two options, some of you might think those aren't two good options, be removed or pruned, right? Like pruning can be painful, okay? But what we see in our text here, and this is, this is critical for us to see this, is that pruning is really for our good, you, you see it there in the passage in uh, chapter uh, 15, verse 2. Every branch that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. Here's the reason. That it may bear more fruit. That's critical. And, and, and this should give us a, a deep sense of hope. Because what Jesus is saying here is that no matter where you're at in your Christian life, there's always on the horizon more fruit and more fruit and more fruit and more beauty and more beauty and more glory to God. There's always the possibility to become more of what God would have you to be in Christ. And the Father is committed to that taking place in your life. We need to remember that because when a gardener goes to pruning, it looks like a disaster, right? I mean, you think about it. When a gardener goes to pruning, you got branches on the ground. You got leaves all over the place, fruit on the ground. And and, and all those beautiful things that we think should be on the tree, they're laying all over the ground. And for those with an untrained eye, and I don't know much about pruning at all, I do not have a green thumb, but for those with an untrained eye, as they watch the gardener engaging in this pruning, they could conclude that the gardener is out to kill the plant. But it's not true. It's not true at all. The purpose, as Jesus has stated here, is that it may bear more fruit. Because what's happening when a, gardener, when a gardener prunes? What's happening is that the branches, are, as they are pruned, as they are cut back, it forces the branches to draw more from the vine. And as a result, they begin to grow. And it's true for us as well. When the Father takes us in His hand and He begins to prune us, whether it be through trial or difficulty or hardship or uncertainty in our lives, we are compelled to draw more and more and more from Jesus the vine, and as a result, we grow more and more into all that God has created us to be. We often recoil from pruning because it's painful, but the scriptures teach us that we will not bear fruit unless we are pruned. That pruning is vital to fruitfulness. 
Listen to the words of the psalmist in his testimony in Psalm 119, verse 67. He says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. In verse uh, 71 of the same psalm, he says, It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. You see, if, if, we, if we come to understand the motivation behind the pruning, that the vine dresser is, is pruning our lives with love and intentionality and the motivation is for our good, then even as we are going through that process of trial and difficulty and hardship, we can say with the psalmist, his testimony can be ours. It is good for me that I was afflicted. Oftentimes when we find ourselves in difficult and trying situations, whether it be physical illness or marital problems or a difficult ministry assignment, we are tempted to think, if I could just get this thing out of my life, right? If I could just get this thing out of my life, then I could really follow Christ. Then I could really be engaged in meaningful ministry. But what we need to remember is that oftentimes that thing that we want so desperately removed from our life, and, and listen, it's not wrong to pray for healing, it's not wrong to pray for resolution, it's not wrong to pray for deliverance and salvation, but we also need to remember that in the midst of that, oftentimes that one thing that we so desperately want to remove is the means that God is using to make us all that He would have us to be and to bring glory to Himself. So this is the work of the Father. It's to remove those branches that do not bear fruit and to prune the branches that are bearing fruit in order that we might become more of what He would have us to be. Third, so we looked at the vine, we looked at the vine dresser. Third, a fruitful life in the vine. This is found in verses 4 and 5. Look there and we read these words. Jesus says, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. So having begun with himself and then having moved to the work of the Father, Jesus now addresses our role in this life, fruit-producing life. And our role is to abide, it's to remain in him. This really is the key to the whole thing, right? To recognize that Jesus is the source of all true life and he's the source of all true fruitfulness and so we must stay connected to him. You, you hear this repeated refrain in Jesus' words just in these couple of verses. He says, in me, in me, in me, and I in him. So there's this, this idea, we're in him and he's in us. Now, we could say it this way, the life-giving fruit-producing sap that resides in Jesus must be running through our veins. Jesus states this in these verses both negatively and positively, okay? And I want us to look at each of these. He states it negatively by saying, if you don't abide in me, you can do nothing. And then he states it positively by saying, if you do, you will bear fruit. So look, first of all, negatively there in verse 4 and 5. He says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. And then if you skip down to the end of verse 5, he says, For apart from me you can do nothing. 
Now, we should state here that in one sense, it is true that we can do a lot of things without Jesus. We can raise a family without Jesus. We could be successful at work without Jesus. We can help other people without Jesus. We can preach sermons without Jesus. We can give to the poor without Jesus. But what Jesus is saying here is that you can't do anything that will produce real, true spiritual fruit and have eternal significance apart from me. It's so contrary, right, to to so much of what we hear today. Like, if, if you think about modern spirituality... Maybe some of you have tapped into that or, or, or have read or are reading some of those types of books that speak about, I mean, I mean, so many people want this kind of life, right? I mean, they want a life that, that's meaningful, that's significant, that has purpose, that, that matters. And so, so they're going to all kinds of different sources. If you, if you go to the source of modern spirituality, the mantra of modern spirituality is you can do this, right? You just got to believe in yourself more. And listen, that puts a lot of pressure on us, right? Because it's all up to us. I mean, we got to bear the whole load. Either we get it right or we don't, but it's all on us. Jesus, in contrast, says, you can't do this. Stop putting all your hope in yourself and find your life in me. And so for the disciple of Christ, there should be this increasing sense of personal weakness. And even an increasing willingness and eagerness to acknowledge that weakness. What Jesus is really saying here, and this is such good news when He says, apart from Me, you can do nothing. He's saying, you are saved by grace and you are sanctified by grace. You are forgiven by grace and you produce spiritual fruit by grace. Apart from me, you can do nothing. That's good news. It doesn't sound like it at first, right? Apart from me, you can do nothing. But it's really good news when we realize that Jesus is the source of all life. Do you feel your weakness? I mean, I'll confess, I'm not always as eager to admit my weakness as I should be, but I feel my weaknesses all the time. The weakness, the inadequacy that I have to be a loving husband, to be a godly father, to be a fruitful pastor. I often feel my own weakness to preach and to pray and to shepherd and to counsel and to lead as I want to or as I ought to. And I'm not saying that so you'll feel sorry for me. I'm just saying that because it's reality, right? Do you feel that in your life? In, in the roles and the responsibilities that God has given to you, do you sense, God, I can do this in one sense, but nothing of spiritual value or eternal significance will result apart from you? As Christians, we need to have an ever-increasing sense of our inability apart from Christ. So Jesus states it positively, but then he also states it, or he states it negatively, but he also states it positively. Look there in verse 5. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. And listen, this is a promise, right? 
So, so, so a growing sense, and, and this is where we need to be careful, a growing sense of our weakness and inability in our lives should not paralyze us. You, know, you, you could take the approach of saying, well, I'm weak, I can't do anything, and so you, you kind of get paralyzed, you get stuck, right? It's not going to do anything. And, and, and I don't doubt that there are some Christians here this morning that you know that there's sin in your life. There's sin that's hurting you. There's sin that's hurting others. There's sin in your life that's not honoring to God. But you've resigned yourself to it. You know, it's there. You've kind of created a space for it. But you're not going to bother it because you don't believe anymore that you can change. And so you just don't go there. And maybe you say, I can't do it. But notice what Jesus is saying here. This is a promise in verse 5. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. If you abide in Christ, you will bear fruit. Not fruit that is perfect, but fruit that is present and increasingly, ever increasingly growing. What Jesus is saying, and this is, again, this is good news. Be filled with this hope and move into it. Jesus is saying that if you are connected to me, if you're connected to the life-giving Christ, if you are in him, vitally connected to him, it is impossible for you to not bear fruit. Not because of you, but because of him. The life that is in Christ, you can't be connected to it and not bear fruit. So, if you connect yourself, now you, may, you may have these, I can't change, I, I've tried that before, I can't do that. But Jesus is calling you into this and he's saying, if you are connected, if you are vitally connected to me, if you are in me, if you give yourself to me, if you abide in me, I will produce fruit in you and through you. You see, the Christian life is not an absence of confidence. Not at all. Rather, it is a confidence in Christ and not finally a confidence in ourselves. Are you, are you vitally connected to Christ, in Christ, abiding in Christ? Then progressively, by His grace, He will bear fruit through you. Now next week, we're going to talk more about what this abiding, abiding entails. And uh, we're going to talk about our need to abide in God's Word, our need to abide in prayer. I need to abide in a deep sense of God's love for us in Christ. And so uh, I hope you'll come back for that. Let's pray, okay? <clears throat> God, we thank you for these life-giving words. And uh, Father, I pray for each one of us here this morning that we would find ourselves in Christ, intimately, personally, vitally connected to him by faith. Father, I pray for those who may not be in Christ at this moment. I pray that by your grace you would, you would draw them to yourself. And Father, I pray that they would be absolutely persuaded and convinced that even in this moment by looking to Christ in faith by confessing their sins and yielding themselves to him and trusting him that they can be engrafted into him and experience this life 
And then, Father, I pray for each one of us who are in Christ. Lord, I pray that even as we walk through this series, even as we've reflected on these words this morning, that we would more faithfully and more deeply abide in Christ. And as a result, we would become increasingly more and more of all that you have created us to be. Lord, we thank you that before us is always more beauty, always more glory, always more fruit. Lord, may we step into that. And it's through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen.